And I welcome you to the Church of Omaha. Those of you joining us online, thank you for tuning in. Would you open your Bible with me to Psalm 59? While you're getting your Bible open and ready, turn to someone next to you and say, Welcome home. Amen. I turn to somebody else around you, in front of you, behind you, and say, Welcome home. Amen. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise team, slight change for after I'm going to do in the room as the altar, okay? Psalm 59, I'm just going to read a couple verses from this chapter, not the whole. Uh, Verses 8 through 10 and 16 through 17. So let's read, or I'll read and you follow along rather. But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. Verse 10, my God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. But I will, verse 16, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. Twice he has said this in verse 10 and again in verse 17. And my title then today is my God of mercy. Amen. Lord Jesus, this is your church, not mine. You and your word alone can save deliver, transform, heal us. You know every need, every struggle, every situation, every circumstance, every issue. Your word is anointed and appointed for this moment. So now, on the authority of your word and by your name, I bind every spirit of hindrance and loose your anointing to fill this place. For without you, we're nothing. Let there be a demonstration of your spirit and power. Confirm your words with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh. In the name of Jesus. And would everybody say amen. Clap your hands and love him for a moment. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. Again, I'm preaching today, my God of mercy. Amen. The historical setting for Psalm 59 is found also in 1 Samuel chapter 19. This is when Saul plotted and planned to kill David twice, as a matter of fact. First by himself, secondly by sending his guards, who Michael, which was David's wife, tricked and helped David to escape. Additionally, Psalm 59 is a mictum. We've been doing through the mictum psalms. And again, the mictum psalms, just a quick reminder, are those that are to be engraved in stone to be remembered forever. It's also an imprecatory psalm. This prophesies the resurrection of Jesus, his second coming, But interestingly, David here doesn't seem to focus too much on his enemy except briefly in the inscription and in just a verse in in the psalm. Instead, he focuses on God who is able and willing to deliver. Can I just pause here for a minute and tell you that Satan speaks to you from your past. And he wants you to identify with fear, guilt, Shame, insecurity, circumstance, sin, your past, and even sometimes our ethnicity. But 
Can I tell you that God speaks to us from our future? God speaks to us from a place of hope. God speaks to us from a place of what will be. Amen. So why don't we start listening to that voice of what God says can be, of what God says will be. Let's reach forward. Let's press toward that mark and that high prize and do what Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's be like David in this psalm and identify with God and how God sees us and who God calls us to be. If you're born again of the water and spirit, you don't have an identity crisis. You're identified by Christ. Somebody say, I am who I am, says I am. Ah, hallelujah. Amen. God is your strength. Do you believe that? In verse 9, we saw the mention of God being our strength. But also look at verse 17. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises for God is my defense, my God of mercy. So I, I want to focus on the strength part, but I want to also look at how personal David made it. My strength, my defense, my God of mercy. I want you to know today you can leave here with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to say it's pastor's it's pastor's defense or, or I'm, I'm, you know, here because, well, it's their strength or no, you can walk out here saying he's my strength today. He's my defense today. He's my God of mercy. David's life was in danger. And he's realized that this will be the last time he'll see his best friend Jonathan. But he uses Psalm 59 to focus on God. David refers to God's strength and defense and it gives him purpose to persevere. As we see with most of David's psalms, he takes his concerns and his requests to God in prayer and praises God for the victory. And can I just add, we should too. Amen. David could have strategized and convened a war council, but instead he chose to pray and to seek counsel with God. He focused on God's strength, not his own. Relying on God's strength and God's defense and God's mercy, David knew God would bring swift defeat to his enemies. In other words, David's trouble was about to turn into triumph when God delivered him. Amen. Hallelujah. Not only did David bring his problems to God in prayer, but David also chose to trust God with the outcome. Can I tell you, we just need to take it to God, leave it there, and let Him work it out in His timing. Let Him work it out in His wisdom. Amen. We should do the same thing. David knew God would rescue him from trouble, and it would be in God's perfect timing. David knew God would have the last laugh at those who uh, were his hostile enemies uh, who scoffed at him. Therefore, he waited on and trusted in God, and you should too. Amen. We need to let God's word be our strength today. Can I tell you why? I'm going to anyway, but I thought I'd ask. Here's why. Because in Zephaniah 3.5, we find that God never fails. I've been failed by a lot of people, a lot of systems, and a lot of things, but I've never been failed by God. 
Titus 1-2 says he cannot lie. Amen. He's going to tell the truth. Amen. I need, I'm reminded. Listen, somebody needs to be reminded today, you're not alone. Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13. Hallelujah. Thank you for the word, Lord. Amen. So everybody say, he's my strength. Now watch this. Verse 11. Do not slay them lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down. O Lord, our shield. Say our shield. He goes from my strength, my defense, my mercy, my God of mercy to our shield. I want you to look around the room for just a minute. Just go ahead. Take a look around the room. Look side to side, front to back for just a minute. You're not alone. God is our shield. Amen. You're not fighting your battle alone. There's prayer warriors all around you. I want you to catch this. God's been telling me to say this. I've said it to some of you privately. I've said it behind this pulpit already once. And I'm going to keep saying it until God says stop. You need the church. And the church needs you. With all your baggage. Come on. With all your hurts. With all your hang-ups. With all your habits. You need the church. And the church needs you. Come on, we're the body of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, my Lord. Mm. Do you believe that? God needs you and you need the church? Come on, it's true. It's true. David was a skilled warrior. He was familiar with the value of shields in battle. He was familiar with that symbol because he would have known what God told Abram when he said, I am your shield. He would have known what Moses wrote when he said, oh, people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help. Later in his life, David would go on to say that God was a buckler to them that trust in him and a shield of your salvation. So this brings up something else that Psalm 59 is unique about. It's it. it talks about what's called divine warrior language. The word defend and defense. Defend in verse 1, defense in verse 9, and 16 and 17, and shield in verse 11 are all divine warrior language where God is saying, I'm your ultimate warrior. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to take care of you. And can I tell you, he's never lost a battle. Oh, come on. <laughs> He's the undefeated, undisputed champion of all time. Oh, hallelujah. David is a skilled warrior in battle and he serves with brave men and he's performed extraordinary feats and they have too. But David knows this is a battle he needs to let God fight. This is a battle he needs to turn over to the shield of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. You're not alone today. Amen. I feel, I feel compelled of the Spirit to come back. You're not alone. You're not fighting this alone. In fact, God's fighting for you, so why don't you just stop fighting? Amen. Hallelujah. You're not alone. The church needs you, and you need the church. I'll never forget the Sunday when I got up and I said, God is in trouble. And some of you looked at me like I had flipped my lid. But hopefully by now most of you 
that have heard me say that time and again understand where I'm coming from. It doesn't mean God's messed up or, or, or God doesn't know what he's doing. It just means he's in trouble with us. If he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that includes our trouble. But it's not just that I'm not alone because God is with me. I'm not alone because the body is with me. Let me, let me just explain real quick, okay? Let me, let me slow down, get into first gear, and, and teach a little bit, just, just for a moment. I know this is Sunday, second service and all that, but let me just teach for just a moment, okay? If I banged my hand on something, right, and it starts to hurt, will the rest of my body not be connected to that? Right? I mean... If I was to trip off of this platform, I hope I don't. hope that's not prophecy. You know, and sprain my ankle or something. Would not the rest of my body be a part of that? Right? You, can you imagine if you saw my ankle somehow sever itself from my body, fall down the steps and sprain itself all alone, and I'm still standing, you would think, what in the world just happened? That would be bizarre. You know, what ninja cut his foot off right there that, that it's now there and not attached to his body, right? I'm not trying to be stupid and I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to just get you to see something. In other words, I don't care if you're the foot. I don't care if you're the elbow. I don't care if you're the neck. I don't care if you're the earlobe. Whatever part of the body you are, if you're in pain, the whole body knows it. The whole body feels it. We're in this together. You need the church and the church needs you. God never expected you to go it alone. God never expected you to do it alone. That's why it's called the body of Christ. Yes, we have different purposes, different functions, different ways we're used, but we're one body in Christ. Hallelujah. We're not disconnected. We're united. Two are better than one. And a threefold cord is not too quickly broken. Therefore, the body of Christ must be and is, prophetically I declare it, a place of safe connection. A refuge where your habits and hang-ups and hurts can be shared without judgment. But with hope and restoration. Without shame or guilt. But with grace and salvation. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. The Bible says in Revelation, who day and night accuses us before the Lord. Why don't we let him do that job? He's got it all wrapped up. You don't need to be his administrative assistant. Whether that's accusing yourself or others. Let's just, let's just let him be the accuser of the brethren. He does a good job all by himself. Why don't we instead realize that all he can see is our past? All he can see is our hurt, our shame, our guilt. All he can see is pre-Jesus. And neither can he see where I'm going on this road of spiritual maturity. Neither can he see my future. But Jesus not only sees it, he's already there compelling me to it. Hallelujah. 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 Let Satan be the accuser of the brethren. 
Let's be a safe place where people can experience reconciliation. Pastor, who's got a Bible? Pastor Lucas, you got a Bible real fast? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think it's verse 17 or 18. Grab it real fast, please. You got it? Can you get this on real quick? Test one, two, there it is. Read, brother. 2 Corinthians 5. I think it's 17. Start there. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, right? That he is woman a new. too, by the way. Any person be in Christ. Oh, you got it up there too. Great. Go ahead, keep reading. He is a new creature. Start over again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Hold on. If you're born again, if you're doing your best to live for God, through the hard trials, through the hurts, through the habits, through the hang-ups, through the mistakes, through the sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, all that. If you're in Christ and he's in you, you're a new creature. Read. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are huh. passed away. Huh. I don't mean to be crude, but when, when someone passes away, we have a funeral and we bury them, right? There's closure. I, I'm not trying to conjure up memories of, of, of sadness for anyone, but, but what, we bury that thing, right? Or that person, right? If it's an animal, if it's a person, right? We bury it. Old things are passed away, buried. When you go under the waters of baptism, they're buried. Now, if you've sinned since, when you repent, you have that advocate with the Father, they go buried again. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things. Not some. All things are become new. Read. Next verse. And all things are of God. All things are of God. Who hath reconciled us to himself. You know what reconciliation means? It means this. You come in, Brother Jeff, with your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups. You've messed up. You've had the Holy Ghost, but you've messed up. And you had a bad week, and you, you had a bad time, but you come in and you repent. Reconciliation is bringing you back, saying, yeah, I know it's okay. I'm restoring you to sonship. I know it's all right. I know you did it, but listen, I love you. Come on, we're going to walk. That's what reconciliation is. But wait a minute. Not only does he do that to us, read hath reconciled us to himself uh -huh. by Jesus Christ yeah. and hath given to us the given ministry to us. of reconciliation. So when Jeff is reconciled by Jesus, Jeff needs to go find somebody else that might be suffering and say, brother, I'm a minister of reconciliation. Can I help you today? Can I tell you what Jesus has done today? Thank you. That's all I need. We're ministers of reconciliation. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what the church is. Let's let God be the judge. He does a much better job of it. Amen? All right? So he's our, my strength, our shield. Watch this, verse 17. To you, O oh my strength, I will sing. Somebody say, I will sing. Now do it like this. I will sing. Hey! Come on. It don't mean you have to get on the praise team. Listen. You can just make a joyful noise and, and say, if you knew where I've been, if you knew what he'd done, 
if you knew who I was before he found me, I will sing. Hey. Hallelujah. It baffles me because this is an imprecatory psalm. And, 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 and they're supposed to be those, those imprecatory psalms are the ones that says, God, kill them all. Right? And yet in this psalm, the inscription tells us that it's written to the tune, do not destroy. So somewhere in the heart of David, he's realized God didn't destroy me. God didn't damn me to hell when I deserved it. God forgave me. God had mercy on me. So do not destroy them. I know my heart, my flesh wants their destruction. But God, I want to be like you. Don't destroy. Mercy. My God is a God of mercy. David knows, he's seen prophetically into the future, that when Jesus comes a second time, he will consume his enemies. He will judge righteously. He knows that because there's a second coming, there has to be a first. And so he implores, God, do not destroy. He writes this psalm to that tune, do not destroy. Hallelujah. feel the Holy Ghost we could look at Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8 we can look at those chapters through the lens of judgment was there judgment certainly that's the flood by the way there was judgment or we could take our glasses off and we could clean them a little bit we could ask God to anoint them and we can look through his eyes. That even though he looked down to want to destroy, in the heart of God, who himself said he delights in mercy, is looking. And, and while he's looking down, there's a Noah looking up. And he finds grace, favor. In the eyes. It's the word grace. Favor, I think, in the King James, it means grace. He finds grace in God's eyes. And in God's grace, he says, I want you to prophesy that judgment is coming. And if he'd have ended there, we would all be hopeless and helpless. But he says, here's what you do. I want you to build an ark. And if people get on it, they'll be saved. And so while he's building, he's preaching. And when he finishes, he's still preaching. And I believe in my heart of hearts that even though God told him to get on seven days before the rain came, I believe he stood at the threshold of that door saying, there's still time. It hasn't started raining. You can get on. We've got room. You can have my bed. I'll sleep on the floor. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. You can come. I know you've made fun of me. I know you've mocked me. But listen, God told us to get on. There's maybe only a few days left. If you'll get on, you'll be saved. I see grace in that story. Here's what else I see. Even though God shut the door. And by the way, when God shuts the door, Ain't nobody opening it. And God shut the door. All the fountains of the deep erupted. All the canopy of water from above came. The Bible says under the whole heaven, so it could not have been a regional flood. It says under the whole heaven. 
and all the fountains of the deep, the whole earth. So in other words, it wasn't just in the Mesopotamian region. If you've heard that, it's wrong. The Bible's right. But Pastor Lucas, a year later, as the waters begin to recede, God directed that ark to a specific mountain. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Bear with me. Of all the peaks that God could have had that ark go to. The Bible says it landed on Mount, anybody know? Ararat. I wanted to know what that meant one day, and I looked it up, and it means, are you ready? The curse is reversed. Of all places, it could have been Pike's Peak. It could have been Kilimanjaro. It could have been any other mountain. But God said, no, I want it on Ararat to signify the curse is reversed. There's grace in that story. There's hope in that story. And yes, there's judgment. And God will judge because he's a man of his word and he's a true God. He will not lie. But there's still hope. And I've come to tell you that the ark today, the door today is Jesus Christ. And if you'll walk through the door, if you You'll get on the ark. You'll be saved. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Jesus died for your sins so that you don't have to die in them. Accept, appreciate. And apply his sacrifice today so you'll be ready when he comes. His perfect love casts out fear. Fear has torment. That torment brings pain, guilt, shame, condemnation. But his perfect love casts out the root of it all, fear. I feel the Holy Ghost is going to cast out some fear today. Some of you, the perfect love. I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I could walk through some spots around this altar where some of you have cried. Some of you have prayed. And you can come up and you can stand and say it was right here. And you can say, that's where God delivered me. Where fear left and love came. I feel somewhat like the Statue of Liberty today. Holding up the light. His words, a lamp. And the light, give me the poor, give me the tired, give me the hurting. Let them come, let them come to this shore. There's hope here. I know the world wants to judge you. I know Satan wants to accuse you. I know your past speaks out loudly against you, but let me speak louder. Come, there's hope. My God. It's a God of mercy. It amazes me that this is found twice in a psalm that's an imprecatory one. In a testament that is the old covenant, the covenant of death, the covenant of judgment, but yet in the same covenant, there is a God who delights in mercy. There's a God who time and again forgives Israel. Even so much to the 
so that on this very week he stood and he looked and he wept over Jerusalem and said, I would have received you. And when he hung there and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That will happen later this week. When he hung there, he wasn't just forgiving you and me. He wasn't just forgiving Gentiles. He was forgiving Jews who had rejected him. He was forgiving priests who had voted against him. Why, you say, how do I know that? Acts chapter 6, a great company of the priests became obedient to the faith. How do I know all that? Because Paul, a Jew, said, it's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first. Even in his mercy, even in his judgment of Israel, he first said, I'm going to give you the first chance to get on the ark. I'm going to give you the first chance to be the ones that receive my spirit. My God is a God of mercy. And so today, like that statue in New York Harbor, I lift the banner of truth. I lift the banner of love. I lift the light of His Word and say, Come, come today. If you need forgiveness, come. If you need hope, come. He's in the room. He's in the room. Here's what's beautiful. He's not just in the room. Meaning these walls. But that part about feeling, F-I-L-L-I-N-G, that's him feeling you. Who will come? Who needs mercy today? I do. I know I do. Maybe you don't, but I do. At the beginning of today's message, I mentioned to you Michael. The inscription refers to a part of a time in history where Michael, who was David's wife, hid him or, or helped him escape and made it look like that he was laying there in bed, put some pottery jars or something, fooled the guards, giving David time to escape. In that passage in 1 Samuel, the Bible calls her David's wife. Later in history, he is now king. Her dad, Saul, has died in battle. Her brother, Jonathan, has died in battle. God has judged Saul for his rejection. And David realizes that the ark has never been in Jerusalem all the days of Saul, so he goes to get it. And even though he has to learn the lesson and three months later go back and get it a second time, he, he learns that lesson. And when he comes back with it, the Bible tells us that every six paces while the priests are sacrificing ox, oxen that he is dancing before the Lord with all his might clothed in nothing but a linen ephod that doesn't mean he was naked or wearing underwear what that means is it would be imagine like a, a long shirt that would go from his shoulders to his knees it was, it was an undergarment of sorts but what he was doing was he said in the presence of the king I am not king while he's doing this Michael sets on a window from her uh, uh, place in the palace and despises him in her heart and oddly the Bible there calls her Saul's daughter and so today I, I want to say this I would much rather identify with mercy much rather identify there than with judgment 
hey, judgment is coming. And, and I say this lovingly, but yet plainly. If you don't repent, you will be judged. Those that didn't get on the ark, it wasn't that there wasn't room. It wasn't that there wasn't a chance. 120 years he preached the same message. There was opportunity to have got on. So judgment will come. Right now, there's an opening of mercy. Listen, say this with tears. When the trumpet sounds, mercy ends. There will be no more grace when the last trumpet sounds. There will be another altar call. There won't be another service. There won't be another camp meeting. There won't be another opportunity to find repentance. That is coming. But right now, mercy is extended. Right now, there's hope. Right now. And besides the coming of the Lord, not a one of us know if tomorrow we'll wake up or not. Only God numbers our days and so I implore you, I'm not trying to prolong an altar call here. I'm not trying to cause anybody to be fearful. I, I would rather you go to heaven because you love God than because you fear hell. But, but understand with me for a moment, a little bit of the fear of God has to grip us that I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. And if there's something that I've got to pour out before God, I need to find a place where I can lay it at an altar and leave it there and walk out new. Identifying with His mercy. I want them to sing it one more time. And as we do, I want you just to worship and pray. In a moment, they're going to put up the uh, dismissal uh, deployed sign. And praise God, I love you. I see you, Wednesday. you got a treat coming. My wife's going to start a series for us on Wednesday night. You're going to hear more about safe connections in this month of April. Later, we've got Ben and Vicki Vernon coming at the end of the month. There's going to be some great things. And I'll see you and all that. I love you. But if you want to pray just a little bit longer, if you want to call out to God as they sing this a couple more times, can we find a place to say, God, I need your mercy today. I want to identify with your mercy today. You're in the room. Now feel my room. Feel the room of my heart. Feel the room of my mind. Feel the room of my Woo!